Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce as my husband, we have written, oh gosh, over three dozen cookbooks. It's hard to believe. Our latest is the Instant Air Fryer Bible, but you might want to check out the Instant Pot Bible or the Instant Pot Bible Next Generation or the Instant Pot Bible Copycat Recipes. We just really covered the territory with Instant Pots. So you might want to check out some of those latest books from us. But this episode of our Food and Cooking Podcast is not about Instant Pots or Air Fryers. Instead, we're going to continue the discussion that we had from the last episode about comfort foods. We're really on this lately. Mm -hmm. We're going to do... As usual, our one-minute cooking tip. Bruce has an interview with Sina Wheeler of Sina Seafoods, one of our entrepreneurial food interviews. I love those. And we're going to talk about what's making us happy in food this week. So let's get started. Did you know that Liza Minnelli invented comfort food? No, she did not. <laughs> There's just no way. The internet says she did. Oh, well. Oh, good. Well, well she had an interview. Fine. She had an interview in 1970 where she said comfort food is anything that makes you go yum, 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 and then lick your lips. Okay. First of all, we're talking about 1970 uh, Liza Minnelli. So we're talking about cabaret Liza Minnelli, yeah, right? I mean, right. that era of Liza Minnelli. Secondly, who was your mother? Judy Garland. Yeah, so what was comfort food? Heroin. Yeah, uh, cigarettes. Cigarettes, <laughs> cigarettes and aspirin. So, and uh, alcohol. Oh, that's great. And third, well, no, I just, Liza Minnelli's not eating comfort food. The thing that's interesting about comfort food is the term has been around for a long time. And we talked about this a little bit last time about connecting with the foods that make you feel comfortable inside. But Bruce and I have been in this food business for a long time. We published our first cookbook in 99. But before that, Bruce had published a cookbook a couple of years before that. And then before that, we were writing for various publications. I was writing for this brand new internet startup, America Online, in the early 90s. So we were in the food business for a long time. And we've seen this word change. And I think this is really an intriguing thing. Because when we started out, there was kind of a notion of comfort food that it was kind of, um, uh, what do I want to say? I think it was mushy? palliative, yeah. yeah I think mushy. comfort food is what you imagined back in the day. So tell the MFK Fisher story. Well, okay, so MFK Fisher was a food writer in the pre-Julia Child era, right. and her idea of comfort food, she wrote about this um, way back when, milk toast, right? Buttered oh. toast, drowned in warm milk, oh. seasoned with salt, pepper, and paprika, oh. she claims was her most comforting food. Oh. And she said, in her <laughs> words, it soothes the nerves, the muscles, and the mind oh, all together. It comes but, right back up afterwards. Well, it makes me think about just what you would feed to old people sitting in high chairs but and bedridden. I think that when we started our career, that old MFK definition, MFK Fisher definition, it was still that tenor. The tenor was soft, mushy food. Healing. I, I think of broth. I think of oatmeal. I think of pablum. Pudding. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Chocolate and, pudding. Yeah, and those are things that you eat when you're sick. I mean, mostly I think comfort food was stuff you ate when you were sick. Either it made you feel better physically because it was broth or it was warm milk, or it kind of 
lifted your spirits a bit when you were well, sick in bed. Yeah, and I think it's when you're sick, when you're ill. Yeah, when you're when ill. When you're ill, when you're running a fever, that's when you get sort of comfort food. My mother served me, oh God, here we go. She would make a sheet pan of strawberry jello out of the box, you know? So strawberry jello in a sheet pan. And the reason she made it in a sheet pan is so she could cut it up into cubes. We had the same sick food. And then <laughs> she would put the cubes in a bowl and pour milk oh, over it. Oh, we had the same sick food. And that was, that was when I was <laughs> sick as a kid. And it was, Pally did, but I think that by the time that we started entering the food business, comfort food was starting to change from, let's say, fever food. Plague, <laughs> I like fever food. That's plague good. food. <laughs> it was changing from plague food to breakup food, to a <laughs> carton of ice cream that you eat after a breakup. It was palliative food. We started to think of comfort food not as something that made you feel better physically, or that's all you could tolerate because you were yes. stomach upset. This is the big something change. that tried to make you feel better emotionally. Before I met Bruce, I had this thing. God, don't judge me. I had this thing that when I would break up with a guy, I would always make a huge bubble bath and drink... (laughs) Don't make fun of me. Taylor, New York State sparkling wine. Hey, it's what I could afford. So I would sit in a bubble bath and drink a bottle of Taylor, New York State sparkling wine. And it was my breakup thing. But see, that it was alcohol, but still if food. See, that's that's emotional, not physical. I would eat a pound of torture champagne truffles. Oh, well, I would... you're such a fancy Manhattan. <laughs> I, I, I would go to Rockefeller Center fancy. to the torture store, and I would get a box, a one-pound box of champagne truffles. Of course you would, And dear. I would walk over to Central Park of course you and would, sit and eat them all. Well, you know what I would do? I would go to La Bernadette. <laughs> Every time I broke up with a boy, I took myself to La Bernadette, and it was just fabulous. No, come on. I mean, you have lived clearly a fancier New York life than I lived. But still, I think that that's a huge change. I think the change from when we were kids, comfort food was what you fed someone sick, to comfort food is what is makes you feel emotionally better is an enormous shift it in is. the definition of comfort food. The problem is that comfort you get emotionally is fleeting. It is. And it leads to more uncomfortable emotions. It leads to self-hatred. It It leads to depression. It leads to sadness. You notice that um, one of the things that happened, and I think that this is really important to note, one of the things that happened in the changing definition of comfort food is those earlier things, what Bruce mentioned, oatmeal, broth, even <laughs> jello cubes with milk, even that, mm-hmm. gross, even that, or the buttered toast and milk. What has happened is that those things were relatively healthy. I don't know that milk, bread and milk is healthy, but still broth and all. When comfort food shifted over to being emotionally saving, it became full of fat. And sugar and carbs. Not that bread and milk isn't carbs, but the 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 way that it trumped is mac and cheese is this thing of like boom, hit hard the fat, hit hard the carbs, hit all of those centers really hard. And that's the shift. And I don't know exactly how that shift came about, but I can tell you we've watched that shift over the course of our career. And now Comfort food has come to mean, you know, ice cream. Yeah, it has. Things that are not 
physically good for you. I mean, listen, I love ice cream, but you know what I mean. It's not physically good for you. There is a scientific backing to that, though. I mean, even the National Academy of Sciences, they did a report which claims that most comfort foods these days, we're talking about modern comfort foods, as you said, are high in fat and high in sugar. Both of those substances are things your body processes into instant energy, right? Into It's things your body can use to make it feel better quickly, to get it to do stuff. Now, long-term, no, but short-term, yeah. So yeah, see, that's it, though. When we were kids, do you remember this? I used to think, oh, I just couldn't wait to get my tonsils out. I never did get my tonsils out. They they rotted out of my throat oh, from so many infections. Lovely. It's lovely. But I never got my tonsils out. Uh, they came on their own. But the reason I, ca- I wanted to get my tonsils out is because all it ever was was you got to sit in the hospital eating ice cream for two days. Do you remember this? <laughs> and you would go have your tonsillectomy back in the day when you would spend like three days in the hospital. And they would feed you ice cream all day. And I was just like, oh, my God, this must be just like now you a do it at home dream come true but that was weird because when you're sick to get ice cream or in the hospital you're not really sick with when your tonsils are out but you know what i mean to get ice cream was weird now it seems like that's the go-to with comfort food and you wouldn't ever say i'm gonna eat uh, i don't know bone broth i'm gonna drink a cup of warm bone broth as comfort food I, at least i don't think so no you, you get fired from your job you're not gonna have a salad or a lean turkey sandwich Ooh, on yum. whole wheat bread <laughs> with yum. no mayonnaise, mu- mustard only. I mean, I, I love a lean turkey sandwich on whole wheat toast with mustard. Come on. But that's not what I, I would define as comfort no, food. No, because we, we're trying to find something special, right? We've just had something bad happen yep. or we're in a bad yep. way and we're unhappy. So we want something special. I'm back to my Taylor and, New York State well, sparkling wine. Something special. Now, it is true. Some people are going going to find boiled red lentils special, right? Yeah, yeah, and maybe yeah, with yeah. a little bit of butter and a little chutney on them, that should be quite delicious. But that's going back to what we were talking about last time, which was childhood foods. This is more about what is the common conception of childhood foods. That's more going back. Probably the person who finds that delicious had that in their childhood. Probably. Most likely. That is part of who they were coming up. Now, if we said that's comfort food, most people would say, no, it's not. Well, I found a way to bring some foods from my childhood to this day as comfort food that are not too disgusting. Like, I have always found coffee egg creams to be incredibly comfortable. I'm not going to comment. You hate them. I know. So for those of you who don't know, milk with chocolate syrup or coffee syrup or vanilla syrup, and then you add seltzer. And you stir it, and it gets a little head on it. And so it's basically sweet, bubbly milk. with So that's an egg cream. And I love a good egg cream when I'm feeling down, but I make it with skim milk, and it still makes me happy. Yeah, I, 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 there's, there's a way to have better comfort food, and that's a whole different discussion in and of itself. But I just find, and I'm going to keep coming back to this because I just find it revelatory. I find it revelatory that the shift in comfort food has gone from physical ailments to emotional ailments, and that that shift has also caused a shift in the kind of food that is eaten. People don't necessarily have the giant hit of lemon meringue pie when they're when they have the flu or when they have bronchitis. That that sounds great. Well, I'm liking that idea. So next time I'm sick, 
I want you to make Gag. me a lemon meringue pie. Yeah, okay, fine. I'll do it. <laughs> but I don't think that's what most people no, think. No, they save the lemon meringue pie for a breakup. Right. Yeah. That is totally it. I mean, I sang for a long time in New York City when we lived there with a classical chorale, and there was the lead tenor. I was a tenor, and there I know you can't hear it anymore. There's too much bourbon that's <laughs> gone down this throat. But back then, I was a tenor. Oh, once upon a time, I was an alto, but that's all that doesn't matter. Anyway, I was a tenor in this choir, and there was this guy that endlessly had boy problems that it was just a constant set of boy problems and every week he would show up at rehearsal with one of those hostess fried pies as a as a salve yeah not one yeah he had and a it, number of them and a twinkie and so over the else. years that i sang with that corral he let's say he outgrew his tuxedo <laughs> several times over and that is the problem with comfort food being High in fat, yeah. high in sugar. It is. It's... And especially if you're an unhappy person who relies on that all the time for your happiness. Especially so... if it's an immediate emotional, an immediate emotional reward. So what can you do to avoid the trap of all this finding comfort in food that in the end is only going to make you feel bad? I think we have to save that for the next episode of the podcast. So I think that's what we're going to come back to. We're going to come back to what can you do in order to find different kinds of comfort in comfort food. And I think that's a great place for us to bring what is our three-part now series on comfort food to a close and move on to the next segment, which is as typical our one-minute cooking tip. But before we get there, let me say that we have a newsletter. If you would like to be a part of that newsletter, you can go to our website, bruceandmark.com. You can drop down on that page and there's a way to sign up for the newsletter there. I have made it so that I can't see your email. I can't sell it. MailChimp can't sell it. It's locked. So you don't worry about getting anything from me except that newsletter and you can always cancel it anytime. And let me just say there are no ads in that newsletter. So no, there you go. It's just about our life. It's recipes. It's not about this podcast. Oh, sometimes a little, but it's recipes maybe that come up in this podcast, all that kind of stuff, you can find it there on BruceandMark.com. Okay, up next, as is typical, our one-minute cooking tip. Breadcrumbs are not the only thing you can use to coat chicken breasts, pork chops, or anything else when you're making cutlets, right? <laughs> Next I time think, you're in the store and you reach for... I think a, this is a huge revelation for me. You, it was. It well, was when it happened. So you're in a store, you're reaching for the can of breadcrumbs, Italian seasoned breadcrumbs, plain breadcrumbs, panko breadcrumbs, put them back. Then go to the other aisle where you find potato chips, pretzels, corn chips, bagel chips, Throw those in your food processor and grind them up. All of those things, ground up pretzels, ground up onion flavored yeah, yeah, potato yeah, yeah, chips, yeah, yeah. ground up Fritos, make amazing coatings. Ground for pretzels with uh, hickory smoked almonds ground together is a really great coating. And a lot of people might already know this, but they may know it just intuitively and don't know they know it because a lot of the keto recipes use ground pork skins. What, pork rinds, yeah, chicharrones. Yeah, what we used to eat out of the bag, greasy in the South. A lot of the keto recipes use those as coating instead of breadcrumbs. But there are, as Bruce says, a million things. There's, you can use popcorn, for God's sake. You can when, grind as, it up. As a coating for uh, uh, things that go in an air fryer. When we kind of came across this when Bruce started testing this stuff for our air fryer books. I was blown away. I had no idea that you could coat a, I don't know, cod filet in ground up potato chips mm, and then vinegar. put it in the air fryer. It was quite delicious, let me say. 
Up next, Bruce's interview with Sina Wheeler of Sina Seafoods. This is one of our food entrepreneurial interviews. They catch Alaskan seafood and ship it, drop ship it fast. Trust us, we know, fast across the country. Today, I'm speaking with Sina Wheeler, the owner of Sina Sea, a company that fishes for, processes their own, and ships out delicious Alaskan seafood. Welcome, Sina. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So your company only catches and sells wild seafood and not farmed. I'm going to ask you, why is that better? Um, I have four main reasons. And number one is it just tastes the best. The wild salmon is just taste and texture is miles ahead of farm salmon. Um, the other reason is for your health. It's gone out and eaten wild, so it's going to be just better for your health in terms of omega-3s and all the nutrition. The third reason is for the salmon. And for the salmon, is actually as wild fishermen, we work with the fish and how much is out there and how much we can fish for, always conserving enough stocks for the next year. So it's really that maintenance and maintaining the fish stocks. Also, farmed harms the wild stock. So they get lice and fish diseases and they're out in pens and that can affect the wild stocks. So the more fish farming, the harder it is on the wild stocks that are also trying to be in those rivers and waterways. The fourth reason is for the planet. If you think about it, we have to protect those rivers and streams, oceans and waterways mm -hmm. so that the wild fish can just do what they do. They can go out, they can eat wild, nutrients and what they're supposed to do and then they return and we get to feed our people and we can only do that when we are protecting those wild spaces so really focusing on wild instead of going well maybe there's another way to do it really protects those areas yours is a family business goes back generations of wild fishing tell me a story i used to fish on my dad's boat in the summer so when i was in high school and college and I can say when you're just running, the dolphins come out and they will play in the wake and they'll play in the bow. And you might see that on a pleasure boat and think, oh, that's so sweet. But it's incredible when they're doing it like on a fishing boat, you're out there in the middle of nowhere. It looks like you could be on Mars. You can't see land in any direction. And you have this wildlife coming and playing. It's really special. Was it your grandfather or your great-grandfather that started fishing? Well, it goes back farther than we know. <laughs> My grandfather immigrated from Norway, where he learned to fish from his father, who learned from his father. And they were commercial fishermen in Norway, and then they immigrated here. So when my grandfather immigrated and a couple of his brothers came, every brother that came over, they would get a boat and uh, that's what they did. And your current boat, who's who's captaining that boat? My husband is the last fisherman in the family right now, but my, my grandpa fished and then my dad, uh, like my husband, he was the son-in-law. So it was my mom's dad who fished and then she married my dad and he started fishing. He went one time just to make a little money, swore he'd never do it again and fish the rest of his life. And then my husband came in similar. He's the son-in-law. So it's also sometimes I say being the fisherman's wife is what really is through our lineage, which is interesting. Well, as a fisherman's wife, you're sort of running the business on land and your husband's out catching. So all your fish is caught in Alaska, processed there, but sold out of your business in Washington, right? So my husband fishes in Alaska and we have other fishermen too that we know and trust. So we, um, he, he's very great networkers. 
So we know a lot of the fishermen up there. We have a processing plant in Alaska. The, it doesn't all go to Sina Sea, but the cream of the crop goes. So the best fish, the top quality goes to Sina Sea. And then we have, we wholesale other fish out of there. I have tried your fish and it truly is premium. When I opened the box, I found center cut, perfectly trimmed fillets of sockeye, halibut, um, the fish cooked perfectly, held together on the grill. Was the texture and the quality of the fish because of the way you process it, the freshness, or is it just the fish itself? Or is there some other family secret to producing such amazing seafood? It's all of the above, honestly. For one, we're starting with the very best fish. So for fish, you want cold water. The colder, the better. We fish out of Alaska where it's very cold and very pure. So um, the salmon is Copper River salmon, which has its own sort of name about it because that river is very swift, it's very cold, it's very long. And so those fish, that species of fish that always return to the Copper River, they put on more omega-3s to make that journey. And so those fish have higher omega-3s, which makes it taste better and better for you. But even with our halibut and our black cod, those are all Alaskan and the colder the water, the better you're starting with. So we start with really premium quality fish. And then everything we do from the moment it's brought into the boat is we're preserving that high quality. So the clock starts ticking the minute it's brought out of the water and the handling on board. So it shouldn't be flopping around on the deck, building up lactic acid and getting warm. It needs to be immediately chilled and bled, things like that. So from the moment it comes on the boat, everything we're doing is preserving that premium quality. And that's the way we think of it. So we ate those beautiful center cut fillets. What happens to the rest of the fish? Well, we actually utilize quite a bit of the fish. You'll see those center cuts. Um, and then we have tail portions that you'll see sometimes. And we sell irregular cuts. So this, the little bit smaller pieces, um, we sell a little bit of a discount. We have irregular cuts, but then we also take every little piece that's not even a portion, a little piece. And we smoke them and we have spreads. So we have these smoked salmon spreads. So we're using the little trim pieces for that. And then we go so far as to um, scrape the backbone with a spoon. And this is, it's an Alaskan technique for people that live in Alaska, they call it scrape meat and it's known to be the best. It's just this little bit of meat that holds onto the backbone. And they scrape it with a spoon. You get one spoonful on one side, flip it over, you get one more spoonful. But you do that over and over, you're going to get a lot of scrape meat. So we also utilize that scrape meat and you can buy a one pound package. And basically you, it's like burger. You can make patties with it or do fish tacos or anything. And then we also take a whole bunch of that and we have it, patties made. So we really do focus on using every little bit of that because we're, we're using a wild natural resource. So we feel like we need to use every bit. I've never heard that expression, scrape meat. Is that how it's labeled? We called it chop. If you live in Alaska, you call it scrape meat. But I'm thinking on the package, you know, I'm going, ah, that doesn't sound real appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of my favorite fish is black cod. And does the fish differ depending upon where it's caught? And why are you labeling it sable fish? Two parts. It does matter where it's caught. So black cod is like a lot of fish, but it's affected by the temperature of the water. So there's um, black cod in down in California, or it's caught more south, and it's going to be a lesser quality, more of a mushy texture. And the farther up north it's caught in those cold waters, it's going to be a better black cod. I do feel like we have a really good black cod, and people do talk about it. That's just where it's caught. 
up in the cold waters. And then two parts, calling it sable fish, is really interesting because it's more often called sable on the East Coast, but also growing up on the West Coast as fishermen, we call it black cod. And that's because it's called black cod on the fish ticket. But when you're selling it, the FDA mandates that you call it sable fish. And so basically it is called black cod when you're catching it and it's called sable fish when you're selling it. And so since we do both, it's very confusing and I call it sable fish and then put in parentheses black cod because I just can't figure out any other way to do it. Hey, Sina, when someone's buying fish either directly from you or at a local fish market, what are some of the label words we should be looking for and what should we be avoiding? I'd say number one, look for wild. And it always is labeled wild. Even in restaurants these days um, on a menu, I always look, of course. And I'm just, I'm not, I don't like to be a pill or ask the, the waiter anything because um, that's not real well received. But I look at the menu and if it's wild, they've probably paid more for it and they're going to write the word wild on the menu. So look for the word wild above anything else. Okay. Wild. Um, don't get caught up in natural and sustainable. Those terms are are sort of um, loose. Mm. <laughs> I've seen, you know, plenty of sustainably caught farm fish and, you know, I don't know what that means. Um, so I would say wild above all. And then also watch for Alaskan. Uh, you know, like I said, all of our fish is Alaskan. There's no farm fish allowed in Alaska mm. at all, which is why the rivers are still pure. That hasn't been um, adulterated by these other species or the diseases. So look for Alaskan too. And then uh, the watch out, there's a few code words for farmed. And one big one is Atlantic. So if you see Atlantic salmon, there's no commercially caught wild Atlantic salmon these days anymore. So Atlantic salmon is code word for farm salmon. If fish is labeled sushi quality, and some of yours is, is that licensed to eat it raw, or would you suggest it always be cooked? There's different regulations for different fish, but for okay. salmon, it has to be frozen to be sushi quality. And that is basically what it means. It means it's frozen. There are FDA charts that's time and temperature. So either really cold or really long or both to kill any potential parasite. So you shouldn't eat it raw if it hasn't been frozen. And so sushi quality means frozen to a point that would kill parasites. And so once it's frozen to that point, I would say, if you like it, eat it raw. Yeah, go ahead. Sina, you have three kids. Did they ever go through an I don't like fish phase? I mean, how, <laughs> how is a fishing family and a fishing business would you have dealt with that? And do you have tips or suggestions for people who do go through that, whose kids won't eat fish or their spouses won't eat fish? Yeah, actually, I do. I talk about it a lot. And we have, we host a lot. We have friends and we have family. And, you know, of course, we serve fish. And um, I have a lot of parents, well, most, you know, they kind of, uh, kind of secretly tell me, you know, oh, oh, my kid, just don't be offended, but they don't eat fish. Listen, I, I don't go there at all. What I do is... Um, I just serve with positivity and I try not to upfront it with a lot of, oh, you're probably not going to like this because then they won't. So I would say as parents, leave it totally open. Don't start with, oh gosh, we're having fish tonight. Oh, I, I made you, you know, <laughs> something else. Um, stay really positive. My mom's biggest thing growing up was never be apologetic when you're serving food. So I put it out with a smile. And when I know that I've got a tough kid, 
I kind of lean into it, you know, it's a challenge for me. And so I will start by um, every, our, our fish happens to have a picture of my husband uh, fishing. And so I, I show them, look at the fish, here's the fisherman and Richie caught this. And I talk about being out on the boat. So I tell a few stories about fishing and it kind of gets some interest, have them kind of watch what we're doing. And then I just serve it really excited and really happy to have them try. And then here's the other key. I put it on their plate and I serve food on everybody's plate. And I tell my kids, you don't have to eat anything you don't want to just politely don't. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> it's not dinner time conversation, what you do and don't like, but find something on the plate that you do want. So I serve the fish to everybody, including, you know, the, the picky eater. And then the key is I don't even look at their plate. Hmm. I don't mention it again. And I don't look. And usually the fact that nobody's looking, they eat it. And especially when people are loving it and talking about it, they're going to try it. And oftentimes they just covertly eat a little bit and maybe, um, you know, they'll have a little bit more next time. And so I say, you know, all about the positivity. And if they're not loving this one, don't make it a big deal. It's not like if they don't love salmon one time, it's not that they don't like salmon. Just cook it a different way. Put it in fish tacos or do this. There's tons of recipes. Don't don't do this like, oh, they don't like that if they didn't eat it one time, cook it a lot of different ways. And then my, the other tip I give, and you know, of course this is very self-serving, try premium fish. <laughs> it could be that you're giving them poor quality fish. So, um, you know, farmed fish, farmed salmon, for example, it, it's the texture isn't the same and the flavor's not the same. It's a little bit more like gelatinous. And so for texture people, it's sometimes more of a problem. So kids, Actually, they just like good food is what I've found. So try giving them really good fish. I think I agree with that. Really high quality fish tastes great. You guys are pulling amazing fish out of the water, processing it, shipping it. Sina Wheeler, owner of Sina Sea. Thanks for spending some time and talking to me about what you guys are doing. Hey, thanks. Thank you. I think that the salmon that we had from Sina Seafoods was astounding it was delicious uh, it was just it was delicious amazing it was so lean I, I i just was kind of blown away by it i think we must eat a lot of farm salmon you and I. yeah i think we do and she's right wild salmon and i didn't know before we spoke that alaska does not allow any fish farming at all. Isn't that so kind of amazing? If you go to buy fish and you see the word Alaska on it, you know it's wild. And the halibut, we also had halibut from them, and it was so lean. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I'm glad I cooked it in a rich, fatty coconut curry. You did. I asked for a Thai coconut curry with that halibut, and boy, was it delicious. Okay, our final segment, as is traditional... What's making us happy in food this week? And I'm going to go first. Right. I never go first. Yeah. So my first up is candied jalapenos. And I love these more than I can possibly tell you. So Bruce makes me a big jar of candied jalapenos. And I'm going to tell you how to do it. You use equal parts by volume 
equal parts distilled white vinegar and sugar. You put that in a big saucepan. You bring it to a simmer. You slice up fresh jalapenos. Take the stems off. Slice up fresh jalapenos. Drop them in there. Let it boil mm, three, four minutes, something like that. Take it off the stove. Cool it. Dump it in a big canning jar. You're in. It's and, so Oh, easy. my gosh. You cannot believe how good these are on top of avocado toast. And I make big jars. I'll, like, slice up 30 jalapenos at once, 30 big jalapenos, yeah. and use, like, three cups of sugar and three cups of vinegar. Oh. Sometimes I throw a big pinch of salt and also some cumin seeds in it for a little extra flavor. Oh, it, uh, again, on avocado toast, unbelievable. What's making me happy in food this week goes with the pickled jalapenos and that smoked whitefish salad. <laughs> I've probably mentioned it before, but I do love it. Um, I grew up in a family that ate all that appetizing. If you don't know the word appetizing, it's what Jews call smoked fish and bagels and lox and all that stuff. Some of us Goyim call it that, too. So, okay, go on. Well, we called it appetizing, and I didn't eat it growing up because I didn't eat fish. I just didn't like fish. I wouldn't eat it. And I missed out on 30 years of deliciousness, (laughs) including smoked whitefish salad. So. Beat yourself up some more about it. So I buy the whole whitefish now at the kosher market. Even at Whole Foods, they sell chunks of the whitefish. They do. Take the skin off, take it off the bones, throw it in the food processor with mayonnaise and a little pickle relish. And it's whitefish salad. Put it on a cracker with those pickled sweet jalapenos. It is delicious. Uh, We have a lot of whitefish salad around this house because it is so tasty and such a nice snack, even in the middle of the afternoon. That's the podcast this week from Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Thank you for being with us. If you don't mind, please rate this podcast. Give it a review. That would be better. And subscribe, too. We would love to have you back next time. By subscribing, you won't miss a single episode. They come out weekly, so please go download the episode next week, the week after, and the week after that, and you won't miss a single episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.